0: Adults who are not seen, not heard, were able to authentically express themselves as children, spend a lifetime trying to do all they can to avoid that pain again. Oof. Here's one more just for you before we dive in. We are all wounded children walking around in adult bodies having tantrums, fearing abandonment, seeking validation. Be kind. And lastly, Be mindful of people who are quick to judge, slow to listen, and willing to dedicate and decide how you should feel. So those are quotes from Dr. Nicole LaPera, who is the founder, uh, and you may know her more commonly as the holistic psychologist on Instagram. So she was trained in clinical psychology at Cornell University and the New School for Social Research. She also studied at the Philadelphia School of Psychoanalysis, and as a clinical psychologist in private practice, she often found herself frustrated by the limitations of traditional psychotherapy. Wanting more for her patients and for herself, she began a journey to develop a united philosophy of mental, physical, and spiritual health that equips people with the tools necessary to heal themselves. Nothing short of a paradigm shift. Dr. Nicole's teachings empower the individual to break free from trauma cycles and create who they want to become. Whew! Okay, all right. That sounds like uh, you know, that sounds like what, what we're about here. So, Dr. Nicole and I get into it today. We talk about a bunch of different stuff. We talk about the impacts of the internet on our psych- on our psychological makeup and our mental health and well-being. Uh, we talk about what it means to self-heal. We talk about the intersection between psychology uh, and spirituality. And we talk a a little bit about how to do the work, what it means to do the work, what are some of the different components of being able to ground uh, back into ourselves, change our behavioral patterns and shift the outcomes that we have in our life. Very much been looking forward to this conversation. Dr. Nicole has a, a, a book coming out that you can pre-order now uh, called How to Do the Work and uh, wildly popular already, even though it's not out yet. Um, But you can pre-order it if you enjoy this conversation and you want to learn more from her. Um, And you should definitely follow her on Instagram if you don't already. It is at the holistic psychologist. Um, And this is just a a very fun and, and great conversation. I share a little bit about my own uh, healing journey and my own life in a few different ways. Uh, and Dr. Nicole will definitely be back on the show uh, to dive deep into one of the topics that we covered, because uh, we we did a, a, a broad spectrum analysis <laughs> of what people are going through right now and how we can start to approach it. Without any further delay, please welcome Dr. Nicole LaPera.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, so wonderful to, to get to chat with you. So before we dive into the to the juicy parts, uh, I'm gonna start off with the question that I ask everyone, uh, which I usually warn my guests ahead of time. <laughs> People are like, "That's like you got to tell me about this." <laughs> um, but so, tell us a story about a defining moment in your life that made you who you are today.
1: Sure, I don't I don't feel as I think blitzed by this question, maybe as some because. And in, in a lot of ways, I talk about this defining moment in, in different stories and in different sharing, because I think my defining moment really came when I began to speak my truth, which is now about the holistic healing and everything that you hear me talking about day in and day out. So for a very long time, you know, in, in terms of my personal life, uh, I'm someone who very much knew struggles that I think a lot of us are familiar with very intimate relationship with anxiety. I consider myself an anxious human. Um, I consider myself stuck in a lot of ways. I think that's a really great way to summarize it. Um, Intuitively, I always felt really drawn and attracted to the human mind. Um, In particular, I wanted to understand it. Um, I wanted to understand why I was seeing people think and behave differently than I was for as long as I can remember. I was very aware of these differences and I think as a lot of us, you know, my pathway to to understanding other people was, well, let me understand the mind. So before I knew it, again, very intuitively, I became the psychologist who had my own struggles, (laughs) Uh, very much fast forward in time. uh, After a lot of training, a lot of different work and a lot of different modalities and with a lot of different client populations, now having my own practice for several years, um, I started to see a lot of the same stuck patterns in a lot of my clients, regardless of their past circumstances. We all seemed to be having a really hard time creating change. And so why I call this you know, kind of my defining moment is obviously, you know, for a human who seeks to evolve, I consider myself one of those humans who's kind of always looking to, again, understand, expand. And as a human in the field where I believe I'm to help people to do this, um, my first moment of reckoning was really starting to realize how incomplete um, support I was offering. After diving into a lot of research and really beginning to understand, you know, the human, the human experience, which in my opinion is beyond just what our mind tells us. Um, we have a physical body. A lot of us are living in dysregulated bodies, dysregulated nervous systems that are keeping us very stuck. Um, in terms of our spiritual essence, for a lot of us, that's largely ignored or, or non-existent in the way we're expressing ourselves on the day-to-day. Um, so, after a lot of, you know, exploration and, and my own healing journey, I came upon what I felt was a more complete understanding of, you know, why we're stuck and how to create change. So, my real defining moment—that was my lead-in into many small moments that I think for me helped me conceptualize a pathway forward, a pathway to create a future that's different. Um, and while that's all great, I had all of these ideas in my head. Well, while while my actual defining moment, I believe, is when I began to speak those ideas to the world. And first, this was through the Instagram account, The Holistic Psychologist. I would have had no anticipation, you know, when I first signed on that first day, and here I am, I'm going to shout, you know, from the rooftops, this 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 new model of holistic wellness. But if if I'm honest, Connor, I never would have imagined the roof was so high and there were so many (laughs) people listening. Um, And anyway, so that really became my defining moment because for me and my own healing journey, the practice of being in alignment with my truth and now speaking it is something that I very much struggled to do for a very long time. So now that I'm, you know, become, and this is a process on the other side, is how do I stay firmly rooted? In my truth um how do i abla- allow new information in to, to modify and to grow that truth and you know what i feel is a is a helpful direction and obviously how do i stand in my truth when there's other truths out there um uh, swirling around in the world so for mm. me it's a process um it's a pivotal moment that has opened up a process mm. <laughs> of of work really
0: well i think that's a, i think that what you're saying is important because we often have these pivotal moments, these, you know, paradigm shifts or defining moments that then do lead into some sort of a journey, you know, and, and a process. And I think it's important for, you know, people that are uh, like yourself, like my wife, like myself, that are in this space, that are leading people through healing, leading people through change, to normalize it. It's like, oh yeah, you don't just have this like paradigm shift. And all of a sudden there's nothing to do on the other side of that. It's like, no, no, you know, your shit's still there. I think there's a, a great quote by one of my favorite human beings who's no longer on this planet, but, uh, Anthony DeMello, who wrote a book called awareness. And he says, uh, before enlightenment, I was depressed after enlightenment there was depression, <laughs> right? It's like, <laughs> yeah. it's still, you know, these things still happen. We still have to work with these things, but our context with them changes, it shifts. And, you know, you've, you've had a, a very sort of like meteoric rise, I guess, uh, in terms of like online and how big your platform's grown in the last few years. And I can imagine that comes with its own uh, sort of like set of unique challenges. But I want to move back just a little bit because I think in the nuance of what I may have heard you say, um and correct me if i'm wrong but you know talking a little bit about psychology and traditional therapy and how sometimes they may be um a little myopic and like a little single dimensional right and and that healing is so much more than just going and doing cbt you know or going and doing gestalt therapy or you know whatever the case may be and so i was wondering if you could speak to that you know as somebody that's been in this field what are some of the uh, multiplicities? Like, what are some of the different layers that you bring into self-healing? Like, what should people be aware of when they step into this journey? Cause I think the tendency is to look for like the silver bullet, right? To like find that golden ticket. That's like, what's going to set me free from this shit that I was given in my childhood or from that last relationship?
1: Yeah, and and I'm the first one to acknowledge that I very much, you know, came from a family of that conditioning that's seeking endlessly for the golden bullet, especially around symptoms. I have, you know, a mother and a sister who at different periods of life have had, you know, medical illnesses, very serious ones that they were contending with. And even in that mindset, you know, I was very much conditioned around this idea that there is, you know, a one cause of a thing, you know, of the symptom. And if we just put the, if we mitigate the symptom, then obviously we've resolved the cause. And I've come to realize that that is just simply not the case. And interestingly, I'm going to start the answer, I think at the back end with something you kind of acknowledged in what you picked up in my story, which is acknowledging that the process of living in action. And I, regardless of what, modality or what office you're going in, whether it's the medical doctor or maybe the the therapist office, regardless of what they're practicing, the CBT, the DBT, whatever they say they're doing in that room, my first, you know, awareness is what our question I think we all need to ask and be aware of how important the answer is, is, well, what's happening outside of the room? And because so many of us are living in the stuck conditioning that lives in our subconscious mind, I think, you know, depending on who you read, you'll read somewhere upwards of 90, 95% of our day, we're running in what we call autopilot. And really all that means is that habits and programs that for most of us were laid and imprinted and, you know, modeled to us very early on in life, because we're not being conscious and making the choice, you know, even if it's within our daily habits, what's the first thing I'm going to do when I wake up? chances are we're not being an active participant. So what's happening outside of the sessions is really what's of interest to me. Because what I've come to realize is those habits and patterns are strong. And even the most, and this is what I would see week after week with my own clients, we'd have the most, you know, kind of the most aha-based session. We'd have these insights. We would likely even come up with a plan of action. I tried to work very practically, right? Okay. Next time, right, this thing happens, my partner says the thing that you know triggers me or takes me off i'm going to do this other thing instead right that's great what i would find and this would happen across all of my clients is that next week chances are very high that there would be a report of that same old pattern right so and for a lot of us the more self awareness i think even increases we become we start to wonder what the heck's wrong with us why can't i create change right and maybe we start to entertain these ideas that there must be something wrong with me, or this is just who I am or how I am, and I can't create a change. So very long-winded way of saying um, our habits and our patterns are, are what's keeping us stuck in those ways of being that aren't working. And for many of us are continuing to contribute to those symptoms, those imbalances. So I say all that to say the session is important. However, again, we're and Obviously, we have to unpack conversations around access and who can, you know, afford these therapy sessions even weekly, and you know what then modalities are being offered in the room. However, the question still begs: what is happening outside the room? And because our habits and our patterns are so strong, we need to begin to create, you know, new new patterns, new habits, and choices outside. So I think that goes hand in hand. Um, my work's I think misinterpreted a lot. I I never stretch the imagine. Nation mean don't seek um i just think that we have to have a more comprehensive plan in addition to whatever it is that we're gaining support from because like i said that subconscious is waiting for us um, to pull us right back into those old familiar patterns once we leave that possibly very helpful and supportive space
0: yeah i think what you're saying is is really um potent and something that I emphasize with all the men that come and work with me or in the groups or whatever the case may be is like, you know, I'm I'm going to give you an ass kicking for 55 minutes a week, but you, you know, you have to do the work outside of that. You know, it's, it's like for, for those of us that have been through trying to, you know, get our bodies into shape or, um, and, and I've been through this, right? Like I grew up how I dealt with my, childhood shit as a kid was through food, you know, I would, I just consumed, I had, I actually had looking back and through a lot of the work that I've done, realizing that I had like a very serious eating disorder as a child, but nobody knew because I was like the skinny kid, you know? And so you couldn't tell that I was hiding bags of chocolate chips and raisins in the couch. But anyway, that's all to say, you know, like what we do outside of the workout, what we do outside of that session with the trainer or the psychologist or the therapist is incredibly important um, because it's in those moments when no one's looking that our real healing work, I think is what you're saying, begins because we start to repair that relationship to ourselves and we start to repair that context of, uh, I think as Francis Weller calls it, he talks about the original wound and Francis Weller is one of my favorite deaf psychologist and he talks about how our original wound is the wound of not belonging and that it's so universal, you know, this, this wound of not belonging. And we're all out there trying to figure out what to do with that, with that core wound in some way. I'm curious about, you said, um, you said something along the lines of, of uh, my, my work is often misinterpreted and, uh, you know, I, I, I felt that as well in, in my time. And I think that, you know, many People in in the space have felt that Jung felt that Freud felt that you know like mm-hmm. many 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 different people. I'm curious for you, um, not that I want to do us in any in any way, but I'm curious how that's shown up for you. Like where has that misinterpretation come, and and how have you how have you faced that? Because I think many of us, many of us have experienced that in many different ways, especially in the chaos of 2020, where it's just like a shit storm right now.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I think talk about universals, Connor, right? I couldn't agree more with you that we all have a, a, a universal wound around, you know, abandoned loneliness where we desperately feel, you know, very, very, very disconnected. Um, and I think that oftentimes goes hand in hand with a deep desire to be understood, to be seen. Um, and I think, right, when the more maybe miss, and again, I'm really simplifying as I often do for, for teaching understanding purposes, but, you know, the more I can imagine, the more you know, lonely and misunderstood, right? These two things kind of go hand in hand. I seek more desperately now to see who I am, right? Because I'm desperately seeking that connection. And I agree, it's it's gotten to quite epidemic levels. Um, we are interpersonal creatures. We quite literally need humans um, for all of the reasons, whether it's we're talking division of labor, you know, and again, I think we're in a very unique time where interestingly, a lot of us are going back to more group living environments to help um, in terms of finances and division of labor at this time of need, also for emotional reasons. We are actually, like I said, wired to be in relationships. So, again, I see a lot of us humans. I, I talk a lot about um, spiritual trauma that really originates around what I find is very core spiritual needs. Whatever you describe, this indescribable essence that I think we're all settling into, you know, some awareness that we might be a little bit bigger or beyond. this this body. um, And I believe at that core, we all desire to be seen, to be heard, and to have the space, right, to to be who we are, to just be understood and seen for enough. So I say all that to say, I think a lot of us have the plight of desperately seeking from outside of ourselves that degree of understanding. And the reality, so how this maps onto the challenges that, you know, are faced, the more visible, you know, you are when you speak your truth, the more you're open, you're opening yourself up to the interpretation of that truth by others. And something I learned very early in my clinical experience was as much as we like to, you know, we're having a two-way conversation with me being the speaker, you being the listener right now. As as much as and important as communication is from my end, right, there's certain tools and techniques and ways that I can communicate, you know, maybe a difficult message that might help you to hear it. Unfortunately, and I think this is really challenging for a lot of us humans who prefer to be in control, I am not the most powerful person. You, Connor, are. You are the person that's going to either be, you know, receptive and open to hearing my truth or what a lot of us do we're filtering what we're hearing through many different layers, typically based, again, on our past experience and our conditioning. Meaning, again, quite simply, we're quite subjective as listeners. So I say all that to say, as you put truths out there, you know, be getting comfortable with being misunderstood is part of it, because not everyone is going to hear, you know, exactly what you're saying the way you mean it to be said. Um, and that applies, obviously, online. Like I said, the bigger your audience, the more you know voices and, and and subjective listening ears you have um that's also true in our personal lives you know so desperately i find us in our relationships looking outside of ourselves to validate as far as i see it, a deeper part of the healing journey for each of us is to find that validation within to be you know secure enough in the truth as it exists for us if i don't have my partner saying yeah i feel exactly the same way right now like so your truth is accurate because Chances are, my partner might be feeling some way different in that moment. Um, And again, that's not to say that we turn a blind ear to some outside information that could obviously be helpful to us, even when it's difficult to hear. That's another whole huge conversation. Um, But like I said, just going back to, I think, the core of it, we desperately want to be understood. Being understood is how we feel seen and connected and loved in relationships, and I believe to speak to your point, a lot of us are suffering from that core wounding where we don't have that. So we desperately look outside of ourselves for
0: that confirmation. Mm. Yeah, so many, so many really good points. There's there are, there's like a multitude of questions coming up right now. I kind of wish that we had like three hours to just dive into <laughs> everything, but I, have,
1: I, I am. What path to go down? I always oh, find myself.
0: <laughs> oh, man. There's just, there's like eight different threads there that I want to tug on with you. But, um, you know, one of the things that came up for me just in this time right now, just to kind of keep it current, um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge advocate for Carl Jung's work. And I really, I really love um, what he talked about. And one of the things is he, he talks extensively about the, you know, the unconscious mind and the collective unconscious mind. And I think in some way, I've I've really been ruminating on this lately about this idea that the internet is in some way an access point, a a digital visual version of our access point to the collective unconscious, which is something that I don't think any human being was really designed to access, right? We, We can see into the dark recesses of so many people's unconscious minds, and it's just sort of spilling and spewing out. Um, on the internet through chat forums and, you know, social media platforms. And I think it's very challenging for the average human being to just scroll through social media and see conversations and not get triggered. And the, the susceptibility that we have to become hijacked for our nervous system to be hijacked is quite high. Um, so I'm curious for you, you know, during the last year, especially as we've gone through COVID and lockdowns. How have you seen people dealing with this access point to, you know, other people's sometimes hundreds or thousands of other people's, you know, unconscious minds, um, and how how can we start to not safeguard ourselves against it? Because I don't necessarily know if that's the the answer, but how do we start to become more aware, more conscious, more capable, and resilient to be able to interact with some of these platforms um, that might be necessary for some of us and and still maintain uh, a sense of sovereignty and solidarity and peace because i think that's what you really advocate for mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. and and you know the the internet I, I love that you describe it is that i I've, I've had this musing myself um as that it is the pulse of the unconscious and as i watched even my community grow into international waters and knowing that you know, there are people all over the world and, you know, very small countries speaking all different languages that are resonating with these truths. You know, right. So for me, you know, I really understood that this is a unique opportunity, which is this is for the first time. I mean, prior to two years ago, Connor, I was just I had my, my office in Philadelphia, you know, and that, so every client that walked through the door and assuming that they were probably all a particular client attracted to my particular work. Right. So very limited. Uh, my sample was talking in scientific languages, obviously coming online, you know, the gift of it, not only can you impact now this larger group of people, however, you could start to see the pulse of the unconscious in that way. So what the internet is, um, I, I love how you're kind of framing it because the other side of it is it becomes that access point. Um, it, be, it is becoming for a lot of us, especially given this year and it's particularly unique circumstances From a lot of us, it's become our interpersonal arena. It's where we socialize. Like, I mean, that for many of us, you know, are not having those in person exchanges with friends anymore. So, all of that is to kind of illustrate, I think, all of the unique challenges with just the newness of the tool that is the internet and social media in this way. That applies to all of us. If we're realistic, this is new. Like you said, we're not used to our brains having the endless stimulation that's here. And then obviously the complexity of it, what we're doing on it, how we're engaging in it really simply that's new for the human. We're we're not, we haven't really lived in this yet. And then obviously with the unique circumstances. So just like, and I'm, I'm intentionally describing it, you know, the interpersonal nature, because that leads to being aware of that, right? Being aware of First and foremost, you're always going to hear me talking about being conscious because when we become conscious to ourselves, all of those habits and patterns that might've had so much power because we might not even have known, you know, that what we're doing, why we're doing it, how we're doing it. The second we become conscious to it, it's visible to us and it gives us now a new access point, which is to create change, not to go down to that old rut, right? The next time my partner going back to that example says that thing to remain conscious in that moment. Not to say that my old rut isn't going to be screaming there. How dare they say that, right? Don't You don't have to put up with that. But over time, and over time, I can begin to access new choices. So with consciousness, our habits and patterns become visible to us. And again, we get that access point. So I extend that to ask and to suggest being conscious around your screen time. Being aware of A, simply how much time are you on it? I know we all have these screen time, you know, most of us have the update mail that can tell us, are you looking? Are you actually aware or are you floored when it tells you you're on there for 10 hours? Like, no, no, you're not. You know, like, so get conscious. What What am I, how long am I on it? And then dropping in and how, what am I doing on it? Am I looking at the same type? This is, a, again, another unique aspect of social media. We can get very niche. We can get one particular type of content that we're interested in to the exclusion of everything else, to the exclusion of an opposite view, even in that same area, before we know it, we're just marching along with like-minded people. We might not even be aware that we've done that to the exclusion of other views and other mindsets. So being aware, what, what are we looking at, right? Is it varied? you know, where, you know, what is the content? And then a little deeper, how is it making me feel? Right. And this is a challenge for many of us because a lot of us are so disconnected, as I know I was, from myself, from my body, where my feelings live, that this, even of itself, is going to take some practice of dropping in, of tuning in. Okay. I've just cruised online. Am I feeling heavy now that I've done that? Or am I feeling light and motivated? Right. And if again, if we're answering that I'm not, I'm feeling low, I'm feeling heavy, I'm feeling like, you know, maybe terrible about myself. Um, Then we could start to put up boundaries, limits. We can Mm. start to define for ourselves. And again, this is very individualized depending on what you quote unquote see as you observe all of these patterns. Some people listening might want to just limit the amount of time, right? Oh my gosh, I'm spending hours of my day and I need to be doing other things. So that might be something I want to be conscious of. Some other people might be aware that what they're engaging in makes them feel like crap. Right. So their their choice might be to engage a little less with what's making you feel like crap. Um, so, again, it gets really individualized, but it can be really helpful to get conscious. And in the areas where it's causing us stress or, or not helping to support our long term goal, because that's a lot of times what the Internet offers us is an immediate solution, um, but not necessarily the long term one. And then depending on what we witness for ourself, we can get really individualized in terms of what the new limit is.
0: Mm. Yeah, well, well said. I think you know, bringing consciousness, bringing awareness into our actions really is the first sort of step. And I love that you talked about that first and foremost. And um, just to bring Mr. Carl, Mr. Jung back into the conversation, he says that one of my favorite quotes that I say all the time to people is, uh, uh, he says, what well, you cannot separate from, you cannot heal. And the idea is that if we're fused with something, <clears throat> we're not actually aware of it. We just are it. Right. So if we are angry and we're not aware that we're angry. Right. And I can't tell you how many times that's come up in, you know, conflict in my past relationships where it's like, I'm I'm not angry. You're angry. Right. <laughs> like just clear, clear projection on the other person. So. So we need to be able to separate from some of these things, just a little bit, just to create a little bit of space and distance from our pain, or that loneliness, or that rejection, or you know, feeling like there's a void of intimacy in a relationship, or whatever the case may be. So I love that you're that you're bringing that bringing that into the conversation. I'm curious about you know in the tapestry of healing, there's a this huge rise of um, personal development and psychological work and therapeutic work. But you seem to take a sort of multidisciplinary approach and and bring in, you know, spirituality and spiritual healing and those modalities into the conversation, which I love because I do all the time as well. And I find that those things aren't very far apart. And I'm curious if you can just maybe share a little bit of like a behind the scenes look at what that feels like, looks like for you, you know, how... How far apart or how close together do you feel like psychology and spirituality are? And, um, and just give some context for, for the listener that maybe is new to this journey that has spiritual language or psychological language, but maybe not the other side. And yeah, let's just explore that a little bit. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. I th- you know, I think we're living a separation that is of more recent in terms of the separation of the mind from the spiritual essence. And what I mean when I say that is there was a time where psychology, psyche study of the soul was what we were back in the time of Jung and all of this was what we were grounded in. Um, there was a time where we couldn't conceptualize our human existence separate from the spiritual essence that made us um, back, you know, and a lot of tribal Um, you know, communities were very aware of that. And then obviously as fields and medicine and systems began to be created, very much those two were together. Um, And then for many different reasons, many different outside, you know, factors that got involved over time, the field has separated into distinct, distinguishing. Um, And I think this is what has done a disservice um, in, in the field of mental wellness, where I operate in the field of medicine, where the large majority of the medical system and most humans um, engage in of that the mind as separate from the body and in both fields I mean as far as I see it a large absence or deletion of the soul so what I see happening now is I think is a cycle of life for all of us uh, in general and the timing of when we cycle back obviously changes but I actually am seeing us going back right rebuilding that connection to the interconnectedness of the human meaning not only are, do I believe we need to acknowledge the soul and the essence of us? um, I also believe we need to acknowledge the body. And for very many of us, the reality of the dysregulation that we're living in that's sending signals up to our brain and our mind that makes sense of them, that's again continuing to keep us stuck in those habits. Um and I think if we really talk about consciousness and dropping into ourself, I mean this is how close I believe it is, right? When you can get into that state, and I'm, you know, doing a lot of practice in this area, because I know when when I when we talk about meditation or dropping in or even sitting in stillness with the self, for a lot of us, even myself included, that's scary overwhelming and downright something i'm not willing or able to do so again i don't come by this practice overnight however in those moments of stillness where we're just within us and it might not even have to be with my eyes closed in meditation it could be where i'm out in nature right and i'm just fully here in my opinion i'm fully in my spiritual essence so that's how close um, that I see that connection mm. is. And if we try and lock that off and make us a robot or just a body um, or just a mind, again, I think we're doing ourselves an incredible disservice.
0: It's a, a, almost like a take on the original wound, right? That not belonging. There's a bit of like a like the myth of separateness. I've, I talked to a gentleman named Charles Eisenstein on the podcast once, and we talked about how in mythology, again, one of the core wounds in mythology is this myth that you are separate from something, right? And we love to separate things down their individual parts and sort of identify them, and and it's a, sort of a very um, in I think in personal growth and self help, it's a very Uh, ego-based endeavor right and so again that that myopic approach comes in and we start to fixate on like what's my ego doing you know (laughs) it's a lot of like navel gazing and ruminating around Um, but I think you said something that's very important there uh, which was the the component about the dysregulation of the body you know the the amount of men that i work with that we i mean we've got trained to just literally live in our head Mm -hmm. right we are trained to over index the rational mind and same with you know some women that um have have grown up under certain circumstances or environments they're trained like your rational mind is the be-all end-all and man, that rational mind can be a very terrifying place to live sometimes, right? Especially if we have no, uh, no separation from it, with no space from it to sort of see what's happening. So can you speak a little bit about what causes dysregulation in the body? Cause I'm, I'm assuming this is part of the self healing journey. Um, can you talk a little bit about what causes dysregulation in the body and what are some of the ways that we can start to root back into it and, and start to re-experience reality through that felt sense?
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the most simple dysregulations that comes from the body is over reliance on the thinking mind to solve problems specifically around our needs, our body's needs, and a lot of us are primed to think our way. I mean, I believe, and I couldn't agree with you more. I know gender definitely distinctions with men. There's a lot of messaging that a lot of uh, male gendered individual, identified individuals relate, you know, resonate with that keeps away from feelings. However, I believe, as a general, most of us have been taught to solve problems. Our school system perpetuates us from our thinking mind, and when we're trying to tend to our body from our thinking mind, from what we think we should be eating or how we think we should be sleeping or not sleeping or what we were told to do, then we could really, we're causing just some level of disconnect because we're not actually listening to our body's wisdom and to its needs. Um, And that's the most simple way um, that we become dysregulated. Deeper ways that we fall into dysregulation is when we don't have the opportunity to have a regulated caregiver in childhood. Because when we're born, we're born as humans into a complete state of dependency. Not only do we rely on others for our physical, spiritual, and emotional needs, we quite literally and physically can't regulate our nervous system. That's what happens when a baby cries out. It's in a state of, um, again, really simplifying it just for understanding purposes. It's in a state of dysregulation, right? a attuned caregiver hears that. This is, assumably, all goes well, right? Comes Approaches child with their more or less regulated nervous system, like right? Chushes the infant back down into that state of calm. The more that happens as each distressing thing, now I evolve past infancy and I'm a you know a toddler and I come home from school and I'm a dysregulated again. When we have that secure base, we learn over time how to do that for ourselves. And to have a healthy uh, experience in our bodies or regulation in our bodies, we need to have that adaptability in our nervous system. And I'm illustrating the caregiver or the parent figure's role in it because that's very impactful. When we don't have that level of co-regulation from that point, very minimally, a lot of us aren't learning that tool. And then, of course, if you throw in, traumatic experiences of abuse, of neglect, of consistently not having myself be expressed or being told that I'm not worthy. Or, I mean, really the list goes on, Connor, with the wounding before we know it, our body is responding and we're getting stuck in these states of dysregulation. They map onto hormones that are released then through our body. Some more or less consistently. And now before we know it, because our body is so adaptive, it begins to adapt into that new normal. However, it doesn't do so without compromising some of our systems. This is why some of us have, a lot of times, a lot of us with psychological, right, anxieties, depressions, we have bowel issues, we have gut issues, we have physical symptoms, headaches. I mean, really, again, the list goes on. So before long, my body's going to make do, However, it's not going to be without, um, again, symptoms, feelings that we're stuck in and or ways of being that is our best attempt at navigating life, given all of these compromises. So someone once to described to me like an onion, right where we have these early wounds that just kind of get mapped over like the skin of an onion before we become a very dysregulated adult living in that autopilot, oftentimes quite shameful at the the effects
0: of that current way of being so good such a great breakdown and explanation and you know again like i think about myself as a as a kid having that sort of dysregulated environment where that there wasn't that system to help me sort of because i'm I'm, i just want to make this tangible for Mm -hmm. for the listener you know i've i always like hear these types of conversations it's always helpful for me when somebody's like oh yeah this is what happened to me (laughs) you know and so i think you know, I grew up in this environment where divorce happened very young, my parents remarried, and then they started their own family systems with these other people. And I didn't know how to tend to that. I didn't know how to deal with that sense of abandonment from, from you know, my my dad. And then how I dealt with those emotions, because there was not really a lot of information, like my parents didn't know how to support me through that as a child, was to to deal with it through uh, being like the class clown, you know, starting to act out, I started to act out quite a bit and then, you know, I had ADD and, you know, all that, all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, all the emotions that I felt, the anger, the frustration, the sadness and everything again, no one taught me how to deal with those things, regulate them, soothe them. And so that's where food started to come in, right? And like binge eating food and gorging myself on things and hiding food and overeating and, you know, constantly feeling like crap. And so unwinding that cycle. I love what you're saying about the onion, because it's like, as over the years, as I've peeled away the layers of like, why did I overeat as kid? What was that? It's just like, you know, get down to that core wound of, of, of feeling neglected or abandoned or like not, you know, not safe in that system. And then having to build that regulation within my own body has been an incredibly potent and, uh, and powerful experience. So, okay. So in the effort of time, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about what it means to be a self healer. Cause you talk about this a lot on your channel, you advocate for self healing. And I think in our modern culture um, for a lot of people, we love this idea, right? We love the idea of being empowered, of healing ourselves. I think on the other side, there's some people that are like, yeah, but not me because my shit's too, you know, whatever. <laughs> there's too much of it. Um, but I would love for you to just define like what is a self healer? How do we what are some of the initial steps? I think we've talked about consciousness. We've talked about getting back into the body, starting to regulate the nervous system, um, which could be a couple hours on its own of a podcast, which maybe we'll talk about that another time. Um, but what else? What are, what are some of the other components besides consci- bring the consciousness in and rooting into the body?
1: Empowerment, I think, is where all roads lead back to empowerment, and that's different for each of us, right? Whether it's empowerment of that validation process that we talked about, right, taking ownership. So similarly, I am someone who outsourced, you know, from overwhelming feelings, lack of regulation in childhood. I found that my best path was to put everyone else's needs in front of me, because if everyone else was taken care of, or that's how I learned in my family... My stress was minimal because stress for me was when things were happening outside of my control around me. So I tried to help and to mitigate right, everyone else. So empowerment right, for me was stop that process of outsourcing, whether it's what my choices are in a given moment. So as opposed to me saying, well, what does my partner need me to do or what does my family need me to do? Right. It was focusing on what I need first. Um, So any kind of what self-healing means to me is defining my needs. And this does not mean to the exclusion of other people. So now i just talked about interdependence, connecting with others, right? And now I'm talking about my needs first. So that I know can be confusing. A lot of us have lived the pattern of outsourcing that I'm describing, of putting everyone and everything before the self. To the extent that, and I know when I was first asked this question, well, what do you want? And this was in reference when I was complaining to a friend about what everyone else wanted. She asked me very calmly, well, okay, you just told me what everyone else in your life wants. What do you want to do in this given occasion? And I didn't know, right? So I talk about the first step to connect with others. And you said it very beautifully at the start of our chat is to become connected authentically with the self. And so that's what self-healing is for me, the process of empowering the self. Very individualized, again, for some of us, that's learning to define and meet our own needs, physical, spiritual, emotional, right? Understanding that once I become more honest and authentic and fulfilled and regulated possibly within myself, Then that's the human that I show up for a more regulated, authentic individual in my relationships, which then extends and allows space for that other human to show up more authentically. And that's what we're looking Hmm. for. We're not looking just to relate to others because we can we've all we've all done that for quite some time. We're looking how to authentically relate to others. So for some of us, it's the pathway of self-healing through empowering ourselves by defining those needs so that when we come into our interconnected space to connect with others or, you know, the greater, you know, powers that some of us feel connected to or just society at large, doing so authentically by self-healing, by empowering the self first. Um, And some of us, like I said, that's psychological, that's learning how to validate our own realities without looking toward others. Um, And for some of us, it's very practical in terms of relationships and shifting how we show up. All of it, though, like I said, is really based around that personal empowerment, which is more of a psychological process. So yes, when we talk about the act of self-healing, like we spoke about earlier, we talk about doing new things each day, right? Breaking some habits, building some new ones that likely might help me be more conscious, live in a more regulated body, right? And it's learning how to show up each and every day, right? And and do that knowingly for ourselves. Um regardless of and you said something really beautiful earlier. This is how social media maps into regardless of what's happening around us. While we are working also possibly to change, right, the external environment around us, what self-healing means to me is empowering the self to tolerate, to be more resilient, right? When if while I'm waiting for the things around me that I don't have control over to begin to change. So again, it's a very varied process, but it all kind of wraps around in how do I empower me um, in a way to be most self-expressed for myself Mm. so that when I show up in my relationships and in the world, I'm granting that same space to another human.
0: Mm. So good, so good. I mean, I think one of the things that came up for me is just, this idea of in the self-healing journey for many people, there's like this confrontation of the parts of ours to the parts of ourselves, our confrontation, confrontation with the parts of ourselves that we vehemently dislike, you know, that we, we don't want other people to see, we, we don't want to see, you know, whether it's events or aspects of us. And so I would love for you to speak to that um, because I think in, in the self-healing journey, it's the part where I think a lot of people get, tripped up on, right? It's like, I want to do all the work that you're talking about, but I don't want to see that shit, (laughs) you know, from my past or from my childhood, or I don't want to touch those things. Like, I don't want to think about those things. Um, And so I would love for you to just give a little bit of context for how to deal with these unsavory parts of ourself or our past.
1: A lot of what we've been doing so far is an attempt, as far as I see it, at not seeing or feeling I think the, the the extent of what was so for us um, and so for me right in that environment where feelings felt too big and I didn't have support right my best option was to get on what I call my spaceship was to disconnect um, because that was all I felt I had you know the option to do at that time and that again, like I said, had so, so many different consequences in terms of how that plays out. And a lot of us, you know, for me, that was an adaptation. Here is uncomfortable. So I'll just not be here, right, in so many senses of the word. And because the discomfort, right, I could escape it I began to rely on my spaceship. So now it didn't even have to be in my family where things would quote unquote happen. That became my safety zone. And I think a lot of us do that. We live our head, our thoughts, even living in the endless distraction of our thinking mind can be that protection from the discomfort of dropping in and of being with ourselves in the feelings that a lot of us have been avoiding very successfully Mm -hmm. for so long. So I Part of healing is acknowledging, right, when we heal, we do allow some very uncomfortable things that have happened to us, aspects of ourselves that we've tried to deny, right? We do allow ourselves to get more into intimate contact with those things, which just quite simply means there's discomfort that comes along with it. So I want to normalize it first. And right, that's because a lot of us, especially if you're like me and you're used to not feeling, it could feel like we're what's going on. I almost feel worse. Like, am I actually getting better? Um, However, I think a lot of us now are very aware of the effects of keeping all of these emotions, whether or not they're physical or, again, just continuing to allow me to avoid them in these same ways and avoid my relationships. Um, A lot of us, you know, it's hard to. So normalizing the discomfort of healing and also normalizing the process of working through it right and and developing the confidence because again this is psychological after you avoid something for so long i'm gonna put this really simply there is a part of you that doesn't feel like you can deal with it right because i actually haven't ever showed myself that i could sit in something that's really uncomfortable and that it'll end and that I'll come out the other side and I'll more or less, quote unquote, be okay, if you will. The process of avoiding ourselves or our feelings hasn't given us that opportunity to prove ourselves right in that way. So that means, and this doesn't mean diving into the deep end of our discomfort, doesn't mean right, laboring through the most difficult memory of a childhood experience and just sitting in it until it goes away. This means very gradually, slowly, right, dipping our toe in so that we can build up that reserve and that confidence. Because as we know, as the feelings come up, our body will go into distress. For some of us, that will mean my nervous system will start to become dysregulated. So I need those foundations in place. That I can regulate. So, when that starts to happen, I need to feel confident that I can return myself to safety through my breath or through grounding and consciousness. And then, the more I build on that practice and I sit my toe in a little more, now psychologically, I'm empowering myself. I'm developing that confidence that I can do and tolerate hard things, I can see maybe uncomfortable parts of myself. Um, whether or not my partner's offering me that observation to begin with, and I want to knock her out as I know I have in the past to just expanding and hearing it, right. To Maybe being able to try it on for size over time. Um, this is the process that we want to work with ourselves to, um, knowing that there's going to be discomfort that my body could throw into dysregulation that I might want to knock the person out if they very lovingly suggested this observation to me. And over time, learning to even tolerate that discomfort doesn't mean I have to accept what she said, though I can expand enough to decide, right, if it's something that touches a nerve because it's uncomfortably true, or if it's not my truth. But a lot of us don't give ourselves that opportunity, right, because we just react um, in that old way. So again, this means expanding our discomfort for hearing and seeing and witnessing things about us. To, and doing so in a safe way where I can, again, tolerate the dysregulation that comes along with it, knowing that I'm empowering myself through that process. Mm,
0: so good. I mean, I think I, I really appreciate you giving some context for people around, you know, when you start to do this work, when you when you start to embark on the journey of doing some self-healing, there's going to be resistance. You know, there's going to, your mind's not going to want to do that. I think um, that was em- uh, exemplified. I had a gentleman on the show years back named Bo Lotto, and he talked about the neur- uh, neuroscience behind change. And he said, your brain is literally not, is wired to not change. It doesn't want change because you can't predict that, even if what you're trying to change is the thing that's keeping you stuck, right? Is the thing that's causing you pain, is to, you know, healing through your abuse or the dysfunction in your relationships or, you know, childhood trauma, Is like your brain doesn't want to move you through that. So your rational mind is going to try and convince you, like stay the hell away from that shit, right? Anything that has to do with that. So I love that you're talking about that because we sort of live in this, you know, clickbait version of personal development sometimes where again, I think people are expecting change to happen immediately. They want it to happen sort of like an overnight, right? Just like people want to be an overnight success. They want overnight healing. <laughs> they want to just be like, I don't want any relationship problems anymore. I'm I'm tired of them. I'm done with them. And it's like, okay, I hear you. I got you. Um, but maybe a little bit of acceptance and, and being with it would go a long way. Um, and knowing that there's resistance. So thanks for that. Let's, um, we're gonna have to wrap up here, but let's end off a little bit with, um, uh, you have a wonderful new book coming out and it's all about how to do this work. And so I'm, I'm hoping that you can just give a little bit of insight into, you know, what that will walk the, the reader through and, um, and just a little bit about, you know, for the people that are listening to this, what does it mean for you to, to do the work?
1: So how to do the work, really, I love what you are harnessing here at the end, which is the power of the familiar, of our resistance to change. So what the book really is built around it's the reasons why we're stuck. Right. So the book will finally the, the gift of Instagram really has been an outlet for me to begin to talk about, you know, some of these theories, some of these tools, the power of our subconscious, the power of our dysregulated body. Um, and what I really view the book as is the real start to finish. So it's going to take us through right all of the ways that our past experiences are impacting are keeping us stuck. Um, in our minds in our in our minds again through the endless ego stories or tales we tell ourselves about who we think we are based mainly in our past experiences to again the dysregulation that many of us are living in our nervous systems in our bodies obviously then creating a pathway um, acknowledging the role of those early experiences in terms of our inner child um, not being seen not being heard um, and all of the wounding and again the adaptations typically behavior Behavioral, relational base um, that we replicate over time as our means of protection. So the book, what I'm really hoping it offers people um, is, you know, kind of the start to finish understanding. That's the first gift I hope to impart is a new awareness. Because I think and I, I've heard a lot of people, the most devastating thing that I've seen and I've witnessed happen in myself and in many others as we are met with that resistance to change, that pullback to familiar, is we begin to then get really hopeless. And maybe even to imagine that these changes or at least this future that we think we're trying to create to, we start to imagine that that's not meant for us in some way. That we just, that's not our path. And I used to believe those things as well. Um, and I think it's really important to offer. And so offering, you know, kind of the top to bottom, why are we stuck? The awareness of that, I believe I'm hoping can maybe just kick that door of empowerment open just a little bit, right? To just have someone question. I'm the first person to beg people. Don't believe me because it worked for me. And because I'm sitting here saying all of the ways my life is now different um, and all of the conscious ways that I hope to continue to create difference I share my story um, as I hope a point of relatability and possibly empowerment though I definitely don't want you to take my story. Um, so it's I the understanding I want to impart on someone else is relieving possibly that shame or that stigma or all of the unworthiness that we're entertaining of why we can't change And then like I said, maybe cracking that door of empowerment. Um, Throughout the book, not only will you see, you know, those of you who are interested, uh, a little bit more about my own healing journey, both parts, from stuck, all the things that, you know, I experienced that created my patterns. And then obviously sharing my pathway out. Um, There's a lot of other healers in the community that I highlight in the book. And then at the end of each chapter, because I think it's really important to live the work. um, So how I live the work. I give practical daily exercises, whether it's journaling prompts or a simple breath work, if we're talking about regulating and dysregulated nervous system. So you'll read about the the content to gain understanding. And then those who are interested in creating the change based on the reading, um, each of the the chapters and each of the, the topics that are discussed are also mapped onto practical application. So what doing the work means for me Um, at this stage in my journey is pretty the same that I recommend for everyone. It's showing up consciously as much as often as I can, knowing that there are still days and moments where I go back to those old patterns or that pull feels very strong for me. Um, so it's cultivating consciousness each and every day and then practicing. It's an ongoing process of how to best honor and meet my needs so that I can best show up in service of whomever or whatever I'm showing up to do, putting out my work, connecting with other people. Um, So it shifts on the daily, and it's being aware of myself so that I can be aware of, and this is, I think, the journey for all of us into time and beyond, our ever-changing needs as human. This is why there is no ever end or done. I've desperately, Connor, been looking for it. I am that person who, like I said earlier, I wanted the quick fix. I wanted to know the date it was over and I could just go back. I used to call it my utopian hippie hammock. I have not found it because I'm also finally settling into the reality that I'm 38 now. I don't know what 48 feels like. I definitely don't know what 78 feels like. So needs are going to change. So if I came up with a protocol that worked for me at age 38 and replicated that in time, again, I could be doing myself a disservice. So settling in. To the impermanence of it all and the ever-changingness um, of this human experience, I believe is one of probably the most difficult things for us humans to do. However, the mm. tools of the work and of consciousness and of consciously creating our environment and our experience, I believe, is our pathway to empowering ourselves through this experience.
0: So good. Well said. Well said. I, I usually tell people to try and live the, live the idea of letting change change you. You know, that there's a current that changes a sort of a frequency and it's a frequency that we don't want to dial into a data and information that we often ignore. And it's something that if we just attuned ourselves just a little bit more, even though it's terrifying, right? It's (laughs) freaky for me that it's like, you know, I don't, I I didn't like change growing up. I hated it. Um, But it's a, it's something that I've had to attune myself to over the years and my life has exponentially grown because of that. So um, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for your wisdom. Uh, and for just sharing a little bit about self-healing and, you know, how we can start to embark on this work. Um, for everyone that's out there listening, you can go and tune into the Holistic Psychologist online uh, on Instagram. And where do you want people to go and check out the the book and, and to learn more about you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I direct mainly to the Instagram because I have a handy dandy link tree set up. Um, so all of the links for the book that are active, there's a lot of international. Um, so anyone who's international, there'll be other languages that'll be trickling in though generally I know there's an Amazon link and a bookshop link up there now and a couple others so the Instagram page is really the, the platform to be able to connect. Um, with anything that you might be interested in, whether or not it's um, jumping on for pre-sale for the book that will come out in March. Um, I also have a new expanded version of some free journal prompts that help us create conscious change. It's called the Future Self Journal. So anyone who wants to visit the Instagram page and the link tree can um, click on that as well. And that will take you through to my website at yourholisticpsychologist.com where all of that is housed. Um, Those of you who are interested in YouTube, I do small, short um, instructional video formats that are currently coming out every Sunday. Um, So there's a YouTube channel if you wanted to search the holistic psychologist there as well.
0: Awesome. Love it. Well, thank you so much for your time. For everyone that's out there listening, definitely head on over and check out Dr. Nicole's work. Uh, Check out the holistic psychologist on Instagram. Don't forget to share this episode with someone that you know would benefit from it. Uh, Man at Ford, Lady at Ford, whatever at Ford, (laughs) uh, (laughs) however you identify. Put it forward, share it forward. Um, and uh, until next week, as always, this is Karna signing off. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, don't forget to leave a rating and review. And I look forward to seeing you next week for another inspiring conversation with another inspiring individual.